I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. A one, a two, a one, two, three, four. Another beautiful day on the Victor Bravo Go course. The sun is shining, the birds are about, and there's a sudden pause in the crowd. Michael Michelson steps up to the tee box. 15th hole here, driver's recommended. <laughs> oh, is he a caveman? Because it's suddenly clubbed that one. What do you reckon, George? <laughs> I mean, did he hit that with the dictionary? Because that was a. T- G'day, this is Golf, I'm Andrew Datto, it's nice to have your company, I hope you're enjoying the podcast, and I really love it when you get in touch and say that what you like, or you made a mistake about this, I think I said Craig Perry hadn't won an Australian Open, what an idiot, of course he had, Uh, that's a good podcast by the way, we had a really good chat, and today a good chat as well, and just a reminder, if you've got someone that you know in the game of golf and they're interesting or quirky as hell or whatever it is, you can get me at Andrew Datto on Instagram uh, or I've got a, you know, website, contact me there and let me know who that person is and maybe we can get together and talk golf. Today it's Adir Schiffman. Adir Schiffman, you say? Well, I met him at a conference for maintenance workers. Um, He's a serial tech startup founder, an investment. He's also the executive chairman of Catapult Sports. They're the analytics leader. So all the athletes that you see with the little device there at the middle of their back that, on their shoulders, that's Catapult Sports. And they, they look at the data that athletes provide and then work out the best way for them to proceed and how they're playing and what they're achieving. So I just wondered, how does that work for golf and can it work for golf? And gee, we went to some interesting places. I really enjoyed our talk. He's a really interesting, fun, funny character and he is a character so this is a dear shiftman not big in the game of golf but he could be i should warn you we talked in a cafe so it's not your podcast studio or anything like that there's a bit of banging and crashing and clearing of tables and people walking by but i don't think that detracts from it so this is a dear shiftman and we started where we always start with how did you get into golf and from there we went quite quickly into some pretty interesting other areas. I hope you like it. My late uncle was a huge fan and it was a great way to spend time with him when I was younger and so that was my introduction to golf, although I wish I'd had some lessons before we played when I was a youngster. Okay, so how old were you? Probably six or seven. 
do you remember where it was and the clubs you played and it was very unglamorous but sure like I played at Albert Park public golf course yeah. that Ro- was... Royal Albert Park yeah, they, oh yeah I, I forgot to mention its full name yeah, yeah. and so yeah I mean it was really public courses hacking around and I, I really loved it I've got quite an abusive relationship with golf it's unidirectional in my direction so I probably haven't p- played for five or six years but I found it very frustrating that I just could not hit shots like Tiger Woods hits them and I really couldn't understand why it's a big frustration for me okay so you're smart in putting things together and how things work and in a business sense do you try to apply those theories to your goal? Yeah, I think that... um, So the problem with being an ambitious person is that when something goes well, you kind of just feel relief and you mostly wonder why it doesn't always go that way. And so I would hit one good shot in golf and I would just be relieved that finally I was achieving the potential that I thought that I had. And then the next five shots would be terrible and I would just walk around feeling disappointed five-sixths of the time and relieved one-sixth of the time and I was never happy. Right, so it's never going to be a game that you're going to immerse yourself in. Or maybe it is, maybe it's, it's, that's going to be your next challenge, you know, like you do tech startups. If they work, that's great. If they don't work, oh well. Does that, I mean, is it, is it similar? Is it at all similar? Uh, no, I find it much like I find the failure of tech startups quite enjoyable because like you basically fail every day and you get punched in the face and you get up the next day and what you think is it's getting a bit better every day and I think I'll get there and golf it it's just not that kind of predictable improvement that you get I just I couldn't get better like you know I played sport my whole life ball sports. I was quite good at them. You know, tennis, when I did it, I got better at tennis. Golf, I just never got better in the way that I thought I'd get better. Even when I had lessons, yeah, I got somewhat better. But then I just, there was this curve where I played heaps and I got better and better. And I I went over this curve and then I got progressively worse as I played more. So the better you got, the better you get, then actually the worse you get. But so what about, so we first met at the mainstream conference, which is for, for people who, maintenance people generally, right? And you did a terrific talk on your business and, and catapult but you talked a lot about tech surely that there's tech that helps you in golf there it like so the catapult tech what is used by some golfers because it looks at like their rotation and because you know what they're looking for is symmetry and like repetition i don't think it's going to help me with my golf but yeah i think the problem is um you're there's too much time when it's just about you in golf and inside your own head and for you to think about and you have all this time and in tennis you have that when you're serving i think tennis serving is the hardest part of tennis what's beautiful about tennis is that there's someone whacking a ball back at you and not a lot of time to think and i think the problem with golf is there's all this time to think and like that's a very overwhelming experience when you see people stuck over the ball and you're going and hit it that's because they're in their own heads. Yeah, I think so. So it, it, do you ever think about, I know we're talking about golf, but we can apply this to golf as well. Do you ever think about in tennis, professionals who spend their entire lives playing and practicing, they double fault. I mean, is that amazing? They shouldn't even miss the first serve ever, but they do because it's all in And golfers, they hit, they shank these balls sometimes, these pros or put it into the water. And it's like, this is all you do. How are you hitting a shot like that? But the thing is, it's because like, this is a human element in their own minds and sometimes it eats them and i think that like i just get eaten by that more than most people okay. i think we're all being eaten by that all the time hey, let, let's talk about your your 
your work progression. So you're at uni and then you're doing medicine, you became a doctor and then you somehow ended up in Catapult. What was, what, what was it at, in medicine that didn't light you up? So I, like I love medicine and being a doctor. I did it because I was altruistic. At some point I thought, I just can't see myself wanting to do this every day of my life. I also, like I, I was a bit of a nerd. Like I was a weird sporty kind of nerd. So I was coding computers, loved tech. And so at some point after a few years of being a doctor, I got sick of doing these businesses on the side and thought I'll try it full time. Did some startups. One thing led to another. I met the Catapult founders early on and um, just thought, I really like these guys. I really love this tech. I think this can be a big thing. Okay, so can you explain uh, what Catapult is? Yeah, it's probably the world's biggest sports tech company for elite athletes, and it's all about improving the performance of athletes, increasing their longevity, minimising injuries, and kind of just... Uh, and the, what we're most well known for is the wearable device um, that players wear um, when, they're, when they're playing and practising, but we also like, have video solutions and other things now. So let's just go to that wearable device. So this is the thing that everyone has a little hunchback in the back of it's AFL, it's NRL, it's I mean, soccer, it's everything, right? Call me stupid, but I, I just thought that was for them running just to follow where they went in a game, right? So you have that heat map, the first idea of it, just to see where they go. You know, tracking them, like their location. Yeah. That started off as GPS tracking. It's now more sophisticated in a way. But that's all. That's what it was at the beginning, right? Uh, was that the only no. plan? No. no. So that's not what. It, so it oh. had that at the beginning. Right, right. It had it. But what's more interesting is um, what the player is doing when they're exerting themselves. And so there's all these other. There were all these other sensors from the start. That, I mean, I'm going to be a bit nerdy and say accelerometers, gyroscopes, magnetometers, which is a compass, an electronic compass. And what it's saying is every second we're going to capture a 1,000 data points and that's going to tell us about every micro movement of this athlete, power, exertion, symmetry, and we're just going to help them perform more consistently and avoid injuries. And that's what it's all about. And so it was that from the beginning, it's just the software has gotten progressively more sophisticated and the tech more reliable. Okay, so all those things are in that one little device. Exactly, that's right. Yeah. So you can literally... So one of the things that you talked about at the conference was that if someone's step is shorter that you know that they might be getting closer to a hamstring. But I don't understand how you can tell if someone's step is shorter just by that. Surely it's if they're going slower, the step. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, this is where it gets confusing. So I'm going to... I'll say something I think is more amazing than being able to measure stride length from a device between your shoulder blades. So a cricketer, a bowler... So I played a lot of cricket as a kid. So we can put a device on a cricketer's back, a fast bowler, and we can measure the speed of their delivery to something like 95% accuracy just from that device between their shoulder blades. But how? <laughs> how does that work? Uh, so physics, like basically the, a ball coming out of a bowler's hand is just the end result of a whole lot of biomechanics that are going on in that bowler. And if you can measure all of those biomechanics, then you kind of know the way the ball is going to leave their hand. It's like if you had a catapult, I mean, not, like, no pun intended, yeah. but if you had a catapult and put a rock on the end of it and what I could measure was the catapult, I would know everything about the movement of that catapult until the moment that the rock left and therefore I would know what that rock was doing when it left the catapult. I wouldn't have to measure the rock itself. And so that's the beauty of biometrics and physics is that if you measure everything leading up to an event, you pretty much know what's going to happen in that event. And that's, stride length is not exactly the same, but like you don't, it's amazing 
um, well, that's the beauty of this technology. If you measure the body, you know an awful lot about what the athlete is doing. Are the days of the just the genius athlete, are they gone? Like, is it all data now? Uh, definitely. So, the, so great athletes are great athletes, and then the question is what makes them great? And so some athletes are great because they're just fundamentally better at skills execution than other people. Yeah. Um, and so that's not going to change. And, um, you know, some are better because... Um, They've got what you you would call heart, and so what I would call is that is that um, <laughs> they can make second efforts during um, anaerobic respiration. So like their muscles are kind of out of oxygen. Let's simplify and say, and they say, I don't care about that. Even though I just got tackled, I'm going to push through that pain barrier and force myself back up and lay a tackle on the person that just brought me down and you look at that and you say oh that athlete has got heart and maybe we'll we'll reduce that to science but that is still in the mind of the athlete and so I think great athletes are still great athletes what catapult does is helps them not get injured or not get injured as much and helps them perform at their best but these are not robots these are still human beings an athlete's aptitude is still a big part of what they're actually capable of doing definitely that's a factor and also how much they want to win like you know my favorite people in this world are people with chips on their shoulders because they just want to win more and so an athlete with a chip on their shoulder is an athlete that is just going to try harder train more bleed more that's not going to change because of tech how involved are you personally in the in the in the creation of the tech for catapult uh, I would say I'm very not involved in oh, the creation okay. of the tech. Like, so, you know, what we, we, like what we talk about, because, you know, when you're like the chairman and sitting on a board, if you start getting very involved in the detail, then the people who are executives in the company start developing a, quite a strong hatred for you. And so you try, <laughs> so you try to stay away from that where possible. Right. And so I'd say the job is to kind of test strategy and to say why are we going down there and how it customers feeling about it and what can we do to make their lives better and improve but ultimately it's up to the CEO and his team he's a, it's a really strong CEO Will Lopes it's up to him and his team to come up with the next iterations of the technology all right and so is there a point where you turn around and say no I think that going down this road of whatever is never going to work or is that is that something that you literally can't say anymore because like any almost anything is possible now so I think the best thing that um a smart, capable person can have is um, a devil's advocate arguing with them. And so, you know, when Sean Holthouse, who was one of the co-founders with Egil Vandergren of Catapult, when he was running the company, whatever he said, I would just disagree with and vice versa. And so I think, like, a healthy thing is that, you know, I said, the CEO is very smart and I wouldn't be able to say that's just fundamentally wrong. I mean, sometimes I I think that because I've got a lot of history in this business, but really it's more about saying... I'm going to challenge that and just argue against it. And let's see if I can argue you into a corner. And I know when I was doing stuff with Sean, a lot of, a lot of the ideas would come from me, but Sean would say, you know, yeah, Adir has the ideas, but we just go with one out of every 40 of his ideas because 39 out of 40 times, Sean would be able to argue me into a corner and I would say, okay, I give up. You're right, you got me. So I think that's important. So is that part of the, part of the business process then? Is, just a, is it you just sitting there just picking fights and going, well... I'll, I'll lose this one, but I'll get the next one. Yeah, I think because it's never personal. Like we're all friends, right. so like there is. But surely it's per- surely sometimes it's personal. Surely sometimes you've got something and you go, mate, shut up. Just- well, and I know I, it's going to work. The reason they say it's not personal is these are smart people. Everyone thinks everyone else is smart. 
and everyone knows that we've all got each other's backs. And there are people that think, you know, business relationships between a chair and a CEO or a board and a CEO should be more arm's length than I think they should be. I think the most important thing is pick a great CEO and then support them so that they can succeed. Because if they fail, that's a terrible day for the chair and the board. And so, like, because we all like each other, genuinely like each other and like spending time together, we can really have a go at each other. And this guy came from Amazon. He was a senior exec at Amazon. Whatever I do to him, like Bezos would have done, Jeff Bezos would have done worse stuff to him. So it's not like it's really not personal, and like we really like each other, and we really like arguing against each other. So do you sit there with Catapult, going, what sports can we then go? In? Like, like can Catapult become a golfing like tech? Is there a point where you're going to see amateur golfers, you know, club golfers walking around with with their devices in the middle of their backs and analysing the data? Is that like, I want to give you a more romantic answer yeah, than I'm going yeah, to give yeah. you. So, um, you know, I was in a golf course and I saw someone playing. It was a kid and um, they looked really good, but there was just something they were doing wrong. And I thought, if only they had this catapult device and we could do it, like, they could become a world champion. I mean, there's no truth to that story whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> like, basically what we say is, um, what are our strengths as a business? What are we really good at? What parts of um, sport can we have a, a big impact on in ways that will also be very profitable and lucrative for the company? And one of the challenges is that sports where there are just individuals performing, there's not many people to sell to. Like, even if it's a big market, you've got to sell to them one at a time. It's hard to sell to individual consumers. And so predominantly, we're a business that is very good at helping elite teams, pro teams or college teams, elite teams or Olympic teams. We're really good at helping them where they're a team sports and that's been more of our bread and butter over the years. Okay. So, I mean, you did make that example at the conference about Andy Murray and all you really got was tickets to a final where he lost. Oh, well. Um, where do you see the tech going then? Where do you see tech, and maybe it, maybe it is for golf, how, how far can it go? You know, so I think there's kind of different types of tech. And so, you know, golf has got tech, for example, that just says, like, this is the particular hole and how long it is and, you know, where your ball is. And then maybe the next step on that would be it would make some club recommendations. And then if it was really smart, it would have data about how you'd hit previously with different clubs and make some recommendations about that that were personalised to you and then maybe we'd have even more data and it would look at, you know, we would tell you to use a three iron on the tee of this hole, but like you tend to slice the hell out of those. So maybe don't use a three iron, maybe use a five iron and just like take two shots rather than one. So I think like all of that is possible. And you know, people talk a lot about AI, yeah. but most people that talk about AI, they don't know much beyond two letters. And so like they don't really know what AI is and like it's lots of things and often it's not necessary to use AI. Sometimes you can just say, we can have smart people that understand golf, for example, like writing code or doing human man, person made algorithms. I, I think like the opportunity for something like AI would be to say, there's lots of data that we have on how different players play on this particular hole. And we can go and look at people that kind of look like you in the way they play more generally. And those people have had success doing this on this hole. So we would recommend it, use this club, aim here. This is how you should think about the hole. Those big data sets probably would be 
AI would be useful with the big data set, and then it becomes like a virtual AI caddy, essentially, for you. Okay. I think that would be pretty cool. Okay. And so I don't know if anyone doing that, but that, to me, would be a good use of AI for, for amateur golf, for example. Yeah. There is swing, swing analytics in the, available now, and I chatted with a guy for a podcast recently, and you send your swing in, AI does an analysis of your swing, and then a pro looks at it with that AI help, and then they send you your tip and said, okay, you're too much on the inside and on you go. But I quite like that idea of this is the best way to play the hole. I mean, like, that's good. I mean, it's probably, I just made it up, so it might might be flawed. I invested in a business called Skillist, which is basically like amateurs get coached by pros through a platform. I'm oversimplifying it. But, like, I think that's interesting. I also... I would say this. I tell you the biggest difference between a professional and an amateur in, in all sports. It is the consistency of skills execution. So what that means is that um, I'm going to say rowing because like that's a weird sport. We'll say So if you look at a really good amateur rower and you look at their stroke and let's say you measure the oar movement and you look at a professional, what you'll notice is that the amateur will execute the skills well, but it just there'll be certain strokes they take that are just don't look the same as like the five strokes before whereas if you look at a pro it looks almost biological in the consistency of skills execution it's like a heart trace or something and so the problem with being an amateur a very good amateur golfer let's say you're playing a five i mean that is a good like i would never get to five okay and versus you know like a pro is their ability to execute a shot consistently in the way that they want to do it it's completely different to an amateur. Okay. And so that is a problem with guiding and coaching amateurs in what they should be doing, is a consistency of skills execution. Uh, you gave a good example at the conference about that American footballer who just couldn't get a start because he was too sh- what, five foot seven wide receiver. So that is a guy called Andrew Hawkins, a friend of mine, a fantastic guy. I'll summarize the story. Basically, he was a very good American footballer a wide receiver, there is a view um, based on some data that wide receivers need to be tall. He's five foot seven, he couldn't get a start, and so he had to go through reality TV and the Canadian Football League to finally get drafted into the NFL. So they had a show, the Yanks had a show about, you know, like if you're the best, you can. And didn't he, did he win it? No. It was like the voice for American football. Right, 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 right. Uh, and he came second, and probably he came second because the winner got sent to, I think it was Dallas or something, and they didn't want to send someone five foot seven to Dallas, would be my guess. And so he was the best, but he came second. That's my view. And, um, and so he, he faced this big prejudicial headwind based on people misinterpreting data and thinking that the data said you needed to be tall. And when he did finally get drafted in the NFL and ended up at the Cleveland Browns, he was a, he was a very good wide receiver. I mean, I think he had the most yard the most yardage for two seasons. But you know, his road was difficult because people misunderstood what the data was telling them about wide receivers. They, you don't need to be tall to be a wide receiver. If you've got other stuff going for you, it probably helps to be tall. But that is not the most important thing that you need to be a good wide receiver. So, and it, and it was the data that actually showed that he was as good as he appeared to be even though he was five foot seven i hope that makes sense it was actually ultimately his performance and so you know this goes back to like is there room for great athletes so he he went to this reality show he was great got drafted to the canadian football league which like that's a proper league um 
And it's not the NFL, but like it's, <laughs> they get paid. It's pros, not, not a lot, but they go. And then when he was in that league, because he's so good, he, it was just obvious that he was fantastic. Oh, okay. And so they saw his performance and they drafted him. And really what I think that Catapult type of data is able to show is what things are going on that result in good performance outcomes and we can look at it like you know it's not us it's the teams looking at the data in a granular level and saying you know how do we make sure this player performs to their optimal i'll tell you this the number one um, impediment to skills execution is fatigue a tired player is a player who cannot execute skills well and so one of the keys here is just training players in a way that is consistent with how they're going to perform and i'll give you like a very quick great example basketballers until relatively recently i'd like to take some responsibility on behalf of catapult i think we contributed to this finding you know a lot of the game of basketball involves running backwards but there was not a lot of training that involved running backwards and i think that really um has resulted in much fitter players that are practicing what they're going to be executing on the court and that results in better fitness and better skills execution during matches so you got them to train running backwards and they went better. Yeah, I mean, the teams worked it out and yeah, I think yeah, our data yeah. helped. Yeah. But, yeah, absolutely. Or, you know, at American football practice, nobody should be throwing the football. Because no, no one throws the football. It's just a quarterback throws the football. And so why are all these other players throwing footballs at practice? Because it's fun. But actually, what you should be doing at practice is replicating what you're going to be doing in games. Running laps around an AFL field is not what players are doing in games unless they're on the bench warming up. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. But isn't fun part of the... I mean, it's like... So isn't sport for fun? Well, not when it's your living. No, no, but it wasn't... But, like, isn't the whole thing... Like, is there fun... Are we, are we losing some of the fun in sport with the tech and the data? I mean, don't blame the tech. You're losing some of the fun by paying people millions of dollars to compete and then cutting them if they don't perform. Yeah. And so, you know, I think everyone who is an elite athlete, or not everyone, most people had fun playing that sport, loved it. I mean, maybe Andre Agassi could, didn't, right? But, but most people did. But most people would say at some point in time, most pros, there was a moment of intense non-enjoyment of the sport because of the pressure on them to perform as a result of being their job. And I think that, you know, that is the reality of turning a hobby into a job, that some of the fun at times will be absent because of the pressure on you. Okay. With, uh, in the AFL, there was, it must have been 10 years ago, they had a thing where they, someone scored a goal and they ripped them off the ground because 
that they, there was a, a sense there was too much adrenaline, they wouldn't be able to operate. Does the data say that's now incorrect? Uh, so I think... Like, like Gary Ablett, right? If you took Gary Ablett off, the old Gary Ablett senior, when he was on a run, like against Hawthorne in that grand final when he kicked whatever, you'd ruin the game. Yeah, I think the data is much stronger for fatigue than it is for emotions. Mm. And so, you know, where the, the AFL has moved to today is, like, they don't do that kind of thing anymore. What they do is they're using catapult data on the sidelines in real time. They're making tactical decisions. And what they're doing is trying to optimise which players do we want on the field for our tactics, how tired are different players, how where do we want them to be at different points in the game. And it's uh, there's quite a lot of science that's going into the rotation. So now when you see the, the guys on this, and I should, probably should know this, so... Um, but so when they're looking at the screens on the side of the game, they can see in real time, if a deer's on the ground now and you've just had a big run, they know that you're tired and they should get you off. Is that what they're doing? Yeah, so they can see metrics that they would interpret as being tired, fatigue, like something called player load, for example. And yeah, they see that for every player in real time. And that I won't say that that is why they're rotating players, but it definitely feeds into their decision making. Yeah, the level of sophistication in like the AFL is uh, very high by international standards. So what, what about you? What excites you? I mean, the sport's obviously part of it, but what for you personally, what lights you up? Apart from the fights... The CEO fights. Uh, I think that what's fun for me is um, creating new things and succeeding with people that I like spending time with. And so, um, and so, if someone wants to, so if I think someone is really a superstar, but just like a nasty person that makes life less enjoyable, then there is no possibility that I want to be involved with them in anything. Like for me, having fun is an essential part of things. And then, you know, creating and trying to succeed with those people in business or, you know, in like, I don't know, like not-for-profit endeavours or whatever it might be on a sporting field, like, like that's a lot of fun. Doing your startups, when do you, when is it time to, to, cut the, to, to cut the court and go, okay, no? Like, how much have you got to lose? Uh, I think there's always a way to find an outcome that's not abject failure. And, um, so you're, you're an optimist? I, I, I'm like I call myself a, a paranoid optimist. So basically, I think that um, like everything is going to move against me and is out to get us, but ultimately it's going to turn out okay. Okay, I love that. It's a great place to end. Adia, thanks so much for your time. Uh, it's such a nice conversation. Oh, Thank oh, you. One last thing: What's it going to take to get you? If you haven't played golf in five six years, what will it take to get you back to the game? Yeah, that's a great question. I think um, a really good invitation from someone that I want to spend time with who's going to be non-judgmental about the outcome of my shots. Wouldn't, as a paranoid optimist, wouldn't you be the most judgmental of your shots anyway? Well, that's absolutely true. That's, you got me on that. That's a good point. So you just have to play with the blindfold. Good on you. Thanks. Thanks a lot. So that is Adir Schiffman from Catapult Sports. We caught up in a cafe in Sydney recently and uh, I really hope you enjoyed the chat. It was good fun and, and interesting and, as I said, quirky. So if you've got a quirky person around the game of golf, on the edges of it or coming into it or leaving it, whatever it is, let's know. I'd love to talk to him. I hope you're enjoying the podcast. I'll see you later.
when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 